Welcome to a brand new episode of Seize the Moment podcast. And today we have a very special guest. Today we have on Matthew Hongold's Hetwing. He's a journalist specializing in narrative features and investigative reporting. He's been named a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize, won a George Polk Award, and has been voted Journalist of the Year by the Maine Press Association, among numerous other honors. He's also the author of A Libertarian Walks Into a Bear, and his writing has appeared in Foreign Policy, USA Today, Popular Science, Atavist Magazine, Pulitzer Center on Crisis Reporting, The Associative Press, and elsewhere. And his new book, available now, is called If It Sounds Like a Quack, A Journey to the Fringes of American Medicine. Welcome, Matthew. It's awesome to have you on. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm excited to uh, to talk with you, finally. <laughs> right, 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 yeah. <laughs> Your viewers probably don't know, I, I had to uh uh skip a previous arranged meeting uh but because uh we, we had a little family crisis involving my my toddler and a kitchen knife uh, but everyone's okay yeah uh, well. and now now i'm happy that we're we're catching back up <laughs> same here <laughs> yeah and i mean i think the one of the main reasons is because like we love the book so much and i know i've told you and i've posted it on twitter too it's legit one of my favorite books of the year so it was worth rescheduling also hilarious too yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and hilarious i'm like hmm, all right yeah, yeah. Cool. so it, the, the the comedy in it it was definitely one of the funniest books i've ever read if not the funniest it's up there with like george carlin's autobiography <laughs> yeah cool. yeah that's high praise high praise man thank you very much you're welcome. All right. So I'm going to do something a little bit differently this time. So usually I read a passage, but this time I actually want to read the cast of characters from Matt's book. Uh, so the reason why I'm doing that is because there's so many people here and they have so much going on or some had some going on. Uh, and then so um, so the reason is, is because I want to make sure that us and the audience can keep track of everybody. Okay. So in Matt's book, these are the cast of characters and the people he covers. So Larry Little is a heroic dentist from Rapid Creek, South Dakota, who at the age of 65 embarked on a second career that he believed would revolutionize healthcare. Toby McAdam, a failed gubernatorial candidate from Billings, Montana, who created a line of supplements to treat his mother's terminal illness. Robert O. Young, a Mormon missionary from Utah who became a folk musician, a tennis player, and a research scientist in that order. His scientific dis discoveries resurrected a long-death theory that challenges the common understanding of germs. Uh, I'm going to try to get this name right. Uh, I think it's Alicia uh, Colisco. Is that it? Ali okay. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Very good. Okay, so yeah, gotcha. Okay, so a language teacher who fled Poland's authoritarian Communist Party to pursue her own piece of the American dream and became the unlikely champion of a much maligned parasite. Leilani and Dale Newman, Pentecostals of great faith whose pursuit of good works led them from Turlock, California, to found a missionary to found a ministry in rural Wisconsin. Uh, Jim Hubble and Mark Grennan. Uh, two beings, this was good. So two beings with vastly different backgrounds who were brought together by the shared beliefs that the nefarious deep state was supp suppressing their miraculous health trick. And I got one more passage because I got to read this because we're definitely going to cover him too. So this is Joseph Marcola. So in this case, Matthew, Matthew wrote, the most heavily trafficked alternative website, alternative medicine website in the world in 2011 was Mercola.com run by anti-vaccine anti activist and health freedom expo speaker, Dr. Joseph Marcola who in 2009 stopped practicing medicine and in 2010 sold $7 million worth of supplements, mm -hmm. such as Dr. Marcola vitamin two, which he did not adequately test for adulterants and medical devices, including the, tel oh, I'm going to try to get this right. The teleheromographic -her cameras about which he made unfounded medical claims. The website stance against big pharma was articulated alongside articles, pimping things like the so-called horny goat weed for erectile dysfunction. Uh, and that, 
that year, Mercola's website drew 1.9 million visitors a month, as many as the website of the National Institutes of Health, many of whom came, who came back multiple times a week. And the final passage here is the proliferation of one true cures had serious consequences. If an individual winds up in the emergency room because they took a dietary supplement laced with a dangerous drug or toxin, we can all make fun of that person for not being more careful about what they swallow. But it's not just one person. In 2015 alone, 23,000 Americans went to the emergency department after taking bunk dietary supplements to lose weight or improve their sex lives or boost their athletic skills. So, oh my God, there's so many different, so many different avenues that we could take, but I actually don't want to take any of these. So where I want to start is actually where I, what I think is going to not only just grip people. And I think it's also the most fascinating part. I think it's going to grip people. And I think it's where we can kind of begin to see how this all sort of started and proliferated. So in your book, you talk essentially about how the medical establishment is partially responsible. So oftentimes in the media, we think, okay, here are these sort of bad guys and these kind of, uh, let's say, narcissistic kind of parasites and these people who pretty much just feed off of other people. And then you have the pharmaceutical industry, the medical establishments, the doctors. These are sort of the good guys, right? You have this very binary way of viewing it. But your understanding is a little bit different. So I'm going to ask you to take us back, man. Take us back to how kind of the medical establishment got started uh, in the US, obviously. Um, and then kind of how it was the foundation of all of this, of the one true cure and obviously what that is. Yeah, yeah. I actually, um, uh, depending on how far you want to go back, uh, I make some reference in the book to the 1830s uh, when there was a medical freedom movement that formed in response to perceived inadequacies in the realm of like university trained doctors, right? So like Let, you can imagine in the 1800s, medicine was not very good, right? Yeah. Like they had the scientific method, but they hadn't really been able to implement it very effectively or, or efficiently. And so they were um, uh, advocating a lot of bunk treatments themselves, uh, you know, some of which were very dangerous, like mercury. Also, you know, a doctor back in the 1800s was much more comfortable um, than an alternative healer uh, with taking a drastic method like, you know, say sawing off your leg, right? Oh, your, your, your leg needs to come off, uh, says, says the 1800 surgeon. And, you know, maybe it doesn't, maybe it doesn't, uh, but that guy's going to make that decision a lot more lightly um, than maybe say like the traditional folk healer who is actually a member of the community that lives there, right? Mm -hmm. So even way back then, you had these kind of two dichotomies, uh, di uh, this uh, uh, dichotomous setup where you had uh, uh, university trained doctors who were elite, you know, that they, they, uh, uh, they, they had, uh, they, they were relying on science and evidence. Uh, they wanted very much to, um, quantify our ailments right mm -hmm. and come up with objective data right uh mm -hmm. give us a, a the assembly line that will allow us to treat people and then you had the folk healer or the alternative medicine uh maybe like an herbalist maybe a midwife uh maybe a, a, a shaman right and their uh method of treatment was much more based in like personal relationships Right. Uh, they, they, these were the folks who, you know, uh, they're treating people primarily in their community. There's a, a much more holistic approach. And uh, if they. Do you guys swear in your podcast? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So go for it. Please. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> if they fuck up uh, and kill somebody in their community, then that is going to weigh very heavily on them. They're, they're going to pay a big social penalty for that. There's going to be a lot of social consequences right and so they tend to be much more about um treating the person rather than the disease 
and much more um, uh, uh, much less interventionist, right? Mm -hmm. They're, they're, they're going to be much gentler with what they, they come in with. Uh, they're, they're not going to saw off a leg, right? Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're just not going to do it because uh, then they got to look at that guy, that one-legged guy for the rest of their life. And maybe uh, it, it's their, you know, uh, cousin-in-law or, or something like that, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was kind of like what it was like in the 1800s. Over time, medical science and the university trained doctors has gotten much, much better at treating people, right? Our lifespans are ridiculously long compared mm -hmm. to where they were a couple hundred years ago. And this is due to many things, uh, but one of the, the biggest factors is that medical science has figured out how to uh, knock down things like you know, polio and Legionnaire's disease and, and, and all of these uh, ailments that, that were so fatal to us uh, not, not in, the, in the not very uh, distant past, mm -hmm. right? And they figured out how to saw off a leg uh, <laughs> in a way that's that's relatively safe. Uh, mm -hmm. That they've um, uh, managed to, to just rack up this enormous series of wins, right? That is due to the body of medical evidence. So yeah. that's good. Uh, but what's bad is that they've also, in the course of that, um, uh, maintain that sense of elitism and honed it and refined it and expanded upon it uh, so that uh, in the, I think it was the 1840s, the American Medical Association uh, started work, yeah, formed and started working very hard to kind of like professionalize this class of doctors, right? And mm -hmm. so they wanted doctors to get more money uh, they wanted doctors to, to be able to sit in a centralized office rather than ride out on a horseback to visit their patients. Uh, they, they, they wanted to um, you know, elevate the craft as all uh, professional guilds would. And so what happened was over time, uh, they were extremely successful at that. They said, if we want to drive up our wages, we have to make fewer doctors, right? So that uh, they're in more demand since a very basic free market concept, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you, you, you reduce the supply uh, and then uh, the, the supply goes for a, a more dear price. Uh, and so uh, they were amazingly effective at that, uh, that they um, uh, convinced a lot of state legislatures and a lot of universities to, to build a system that would elevate their craft. And the end result is what you have today, which is not enough doctors to provide meaningful access uh, for many uh, uh, tens of millions of Americans, uh, you've created a wage system uh, that allows the, the medical doctor, uh, the average medical doctor uh, in a specialty to start at, I think, $350,000 a year. Mm -hmm. uh, and they will tell you that this is because they owe a million dollars in student loan debts. And that is a totally valid uh, uh, argument for, for the doctors to make uh, because that system is so screwed up that law or medical schools are, are charging a million dollars in, in tuition over the course of a, a program. Right. Um, and so you have so much money in that system uh, that it is creating sort of a, a cultural distance between uh, the medical profession and the Joe average American citizen, right? Uh, the, 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 the Jane Doe's who not only maybe don't have the easiest access but also when they get into a doctor's office, maybe uh, feeling particularly uncomfortable uh, mm -hmm. because the doctor um, 
might have uh, uh, just come from a different world experience, right? Mm -hmm. That might be perceived as attitudinal. Uh, and so, um, yeah, so now what we've done is, uh, I, I in the book, I talk a little bit about a guy named Mike Montero, who's a, a kind of like revolutionary-minded uh, designer. He started with mm -hmm. like computer designs, and now he like, he, he, he's a, a thought leader, uh, talks about um, uh, this idea of like system design, meaning like big systems, political systems, societal mm -hmm. systems. Mm -hmm. And uh, he demonstrates that uh, when you would design a system, as we've designed our medical system, uh, the outcome that you get is kind of built into that design. So when you design a system, that limits access, that elevates doctors, that creates this cultural gap uh, between doctor and patient, what you're doing is you are ensuring that there is going to be a demand for an alternative form of medicine, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so people are uh, forced to, to go seek out, or not necessarily forced, but they're, they're incentivized, let's say, to go and seek out other forms of treatment. And that creates a very fertile ground for yeah, maybe some good alternative healers, you know, your, your yoga instructor who wants to teach a wellness and meditation that maybe brings down your blood pressure a little bit, but it also sure. creates a fertile ground for absolute charlatans and quacks and bad actors who are charging big money to administer completely bogus treatments uh, that result in their clients' uh, death, either because the treatments themselves are ha actively harmful or because they're being taken instead of conventional treatments for very serious diseases like cancer and kidney disease and, and all of that. So that is my very long-winded response to your question. I'm, I'm sorry, but thank <laughs> you for letting me monologue. Uh, uh, what, 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 what do you think? No, I love that. No, absolutely. It, it's, that makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, because of that cultural gr uh, gap, right? And that sort of elitism, that, that sort of attitude that, um, let's say the average uh, Jane Doe, John Doe gets from the doctor totally makes sense that you might seek alternative forms of medicine, right? Like uh, maybe I, I don't feel comfortable dealing with this person. Maybe I'm just dissatisfied with kind of uh, what is the mainstream. Maybe I'm sort of a person who is not necessarily conspiratorial, but thinking, okay, maybe this uh, doctor that I have access to in the mainstream won't provide me that thing that the real elites are getting. Maybe they have access to something else. Can I have access to that? Do these people who are touting these other forms of um, health treatment maybe have access to something right. these doctors don't? Oh, is the FDA even so sacrosanct, right? Like, it, like have they ever made any errors before in their judgment? Maybe due to that one error, error that I can research and find on Google, you know what? I'm going to invalidate all of their work and try to go for these other doctors proposing these other treatments or something like that. Right. Um, yeah, I could think of like a million different reasons. I, I, but yes, yeah, I would just I would want to add on to that. Yeah, so I really like that. And I would just add on to that in terms of what the the kind of gap also, and this is obviously not the only one. I mean, obviously what you just mentioned, Matt. And then the other gap is I think for the most part, people really want to understand what it is they're experiencing and why. And so oftentimes, and I've had this experience with physicians a lot. Not I want to say I was gonna say all the time, a lot, uh, where they just kind of don't tell you or they don't explain much to you. They just tell you, like, well, here's a diagnosis, and you're like, this is a very long, like strange sounding name. I don't exactly know what that that means so 
Eli, do you want to? Sorry, to, yeah, to just even to add on to that. Uh, so because doctors are incentivized, you know, uh, the more patients you see, the more money you make. Yeah. And I mean, I've worked in a doctor's office before. Of course, this is anecdotal. This is just my experience. But yeah, they would see a patient for about 10 minutes. Yeah. Right. Um, maybe see them. Oh, OK. Uh, what's wrong with you? OK, great. OK, we're going to do this test on you. You get those test results. They call you back. They might just let you know if something is abnormal. They might not explain other things necessarily on that test to right. you. Um, now, of course, yeah, it makes sense. Let's talk about the abnormal thing. But maybe you want an overall picture of your health that's a little more uh, personalized to you or something. Right, right, right. Or for instance, maybe uh, there's a, a doctor that will prescribe you blood pressure medication, which makes sense to do to lower your blood pressure. But they might not necessarily give you that other option of saying, hey, maybe we could work on your diet, maybe this, maybe this drug that's going to end up, you know, uh, making me some money. Maybe that's more in my, you know, yeah. incentive to give that to you. And that's going to be that short term thing that heals you, but never mind the side effects and blah, blah, blah. And by the way, I'm just trying to take the perspective of somebody who's a little more paranoid. This may or may not be true because each specific person, um, who knows what their situation is? Right. Maybe that blood pressure medication, blah, 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 but works you, for them. Right, right. But just, you know, to take the perspective of the patient, you know, whoever obviously they may be, I think the thinking is I want to really understand how my health works. And most of the time, I don't think doctors really have much of an incentive to under, to explain, to kind of cultivate some sort of, not just relationship, that's one aspect of it, but also to cultivate some sort of insight. So I think the understanding there is that, well, you're not a doctor. I'm the one who went to medical school. So don't worry, let me just take care of you. And now here you have this vacuum where people are coming in and they're saying, and you know how many times we hear that in conspiracy circles where it's like, uh, you're in charge of your own health. You could take care of yourself. You don't need the establishment or you don't need these experts. You can do it yourself, right? This is all very simple, right? And you hear this about so many different structures, like the financial system, whatever. You know, they, they're like, oh, it's needlessly complicated because, you know, big pharma's profiting. So wait, just because, can I just really quickly segue? Okay. So to Matt, now, now how, do, how do we get into now the world of the one true cures, right? How does now that pro pro uh, proliferate? And then also now, can we actually get into some of these stories and some examples of these true cures <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely um so yeah so basically um yeah you, you've got this system where people are primed to look for alternatives yeah. and uh the one way to to uh find the worst alternative cure is to find the one that's making the most promises right uh th th this is a uh, and you know and i i I have an ego, right? You have an ego. We all like mm -hmm. to tell ourselves. He definitely stories. has an ego. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> we like to tell ourselves stories about ourselves that make us feel like we're, you know, like we're important, like we're good, yeah. like we're out there doing it. So imagine that your ego uh, has allowed you to think that you have come up with a cure that is a magic bullet solution for every disease, yeah. right? And that is what uh, the, these uh, folks that I, I spoke with and, and researched for my book uh, seem to, for the most part, legitimately believe, um, which is that, you know, they, they come up on some sort of a, 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 they have an experience involving a potential cure. And that starts a chain of evidence collection on their part that is deeply, deeply flawed, uh, that reinforces those ideas. And then they come up with uh, the, the conclusion not too long after that, that what they've discovered is going to revolutionize healthcare and is going to cure everyone of everything. 
right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it, it's kind of like uh, a search for a holy grail. And right. this is one thing that puts one true purism at odds with the medical establishment is that over the last couple of centuries, the medical establishment has taken an ever more discreet uh, 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 view of disease, right? Like uh, they, they don't treat the, the whole body. They say this specific disease has this specific cause and therefore requires this specific range of treatments. And then this broken arm requires something altogether different uh, and so on down the line. Uh, but so now, uh, for example, uh, there, there's a, a guy who was uh, Robert O. Young, uh, who you mentioned at the top of the show. Yeah. Uh, he is a, a Utah uh, former missionary, right? Kind of a, a devout Mormon guy. Uh, gets into tennis. Through his love of tennis, he gets into health. Uh, he writes like a diet book. He, he's like studying nutrition, that sort of stuff. And he looks through a microscope one day and believes that he is witnessing uh, a human cell turning into a pathogen, right? So he, he's basically saying like, when he sees this, his takeaway is, oh my God, there's no such thing as a germ. Germ theory is wrong. Hmm. Instead, what we call germs are actually human cells that have been transformed inside the cell into pathogens, right? And so... Uh, uh, he attributes this to uh, the levels of acidity in the blood. You know, if, if your body has too acidic of an environment, it's going to turn your cells into, you know, coronavirus uh, pathogens. It's going to turn your cells into uh, uh, cancer and, and so on. Uh, and so therefore, the one treatment for all this is to deacidify the body, which you can do at his ranch for $6,000 a night, uh, where he will for an additional $180, inject baking soda into your veins, right? To, to bring down your acidity, yeah. all while feeding you a, a, a constant diet of uh, uh, vegetable smoothies. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of like where it ends up. You start off with this idea, and then you go out, you start to try to make money on this idea, and uh, uh, that brings you into conflict with society, and you cause a lot of damage along the way. You know what's really messed up? Specifically, Robert Young. Actually, I was caught in the grips of this uh, quackery. Oh, no. So, not specific. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah, totally. Oh, Oh, God. I don't know how many years ago this was. Oh, no. I was listening to or watching Tony Robbins. Of course. So, Tony Robbins says, (laughs) all right, the reason for uh, all your uh, inflammation, uh, uh, whatever, uh, for you being uh, fat, this, that, whatever, you name it, all these bad things uh, is because your uh, diet is too acidic. You're, there's this doctor, Dr. Robert O. Young, uh, who introduced this concept that, you know, uh, of alkalinity versus acidity in the body. Acidity leads to all these bad things. I have this uh, chart on the screen showing what happens if your body's more alkaline versus acidic, blah, blah, blah. All this kind of got me. At the wow. time, I, I was so into uh, losing weight. And I was like, wait a second, this makes sense, right? I mean, yeah, I guess there are foods that cause acidity. I, I guess if I ate crap, that would do bad things to my body. And maybe maybe that's where the acid's coming from. Huh. And then like, I'm like, oh yeah, vegetables. Nobody likes vegetables, right? Of course, that's what's going to give you the alkaline, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Uh, so whatever. Best kept secret. So I, tr- I tried it. I tried it. Try these seven it- weird tips for... Yeah, exactly. Body. 
And it actually, you know, what's weird though. Then I started having this thing of where it was sort of working for me. Cause I mean, of course you even mentioned it in your book too. You're like, well, you know, of course, if you eat a whole bunch of vegetables, which anyway is recommended to you and, and work out, which is also being recommended here too. Of course, you're probably going to have good results from that. Right. So I started buying into this more and more. Then I started touting this idea to my friend. And then this one friend of mine, I'm so happy. I'm grateful to this friend. He said, wait a second. No, that whole pH balance thing is it's not, it's not true. And the way he explained to me is like, you know, your body, no matter what you put into it, anyway, regulates your pH. Like it's designed to reg and try to keep you at a certain, you know, uh base level anyway. Absolutely so right. yeah. So then wait, was this Mo or Alvin? No, it's actually Richard. Oh wow. Our engineer him. friend. Yeah. Yeah. Good for him. So, yeah. Yeah. So then then I was like, oh no. And then I still tried to believe it. I was like, no, this is true. I promise. And then eventually I, I got out of it. So yeah, you know, and I kind of fell for it. I was I was looking for that, you know, that one cure as far as that goes. So yeah. And yeah. you know what's interesting is uh uh, after that uh, response began to be circulated about the, the whole pH miracle thing, that the idea of deacidifying the blood and the urine and all that side, uh, sort of thing, which is, as you said, self-regulated by the body, uh, he kind of like tweaked his teachings. Uh, and I didn't go into this in the book, but um, okay, what, what's like the, um, the, the fluid in your like, uh, I want to say like inter immunitary system or, or whatever uh, basically he basically switched it so that now the acid buildup is supposedly in parts of your body that uh uh the the natural deacidification process uh can't be tracked as easily right so <laughs> it's just like evolved it a little bit you know so like maybe it's like your synovial fluid well you know you, you can't get at your synovial fluid with a needle uh easily and so, you know, that that's where the, the magic bad thing is. Right. Uh, and as you say, like, it comes down to like diet and exercise. Right. And, and that's that's not a secret. Uh, people have been saying that for hundreds of years. Uh, any any doctor worth his salt or her salt will tell you, uh, yeah, uh, you know, diet and exercise that that that's the, the big key to health. But the problem is, if you're in the nutrition sector, you can't make money by telling people to have a good diet and uh, right. uh, exercise more, right? And so you have to somehow trademark your stamp or your version of diet and exercise. And even right. though it's a very, very simple concept and everybody kind of knows what it means to have fewer calories and, 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 and uh, uh, you know, do a good workout a couple of times a day in a relatively safe uh, way, a couple of times a week rather. Um, yeah, you know, like uh, they've got to come up with something uh, that's very, very unique that they own and packaged. in order to sell that package, right, they, they have to, uh, you know, uh, assert that there's some sort of secret or technique or trick buried in that diet and exercise advice that is vital that only they know. Uh, and it's just bunk. And what's interesting is like these uh, alternative medicine practitioners, again, some, some are good, no problems with those that are good, but uh, they have the advantage of being able to use certain sales techniques in order to get people to kind of buy into what it is that they're saying, right? Especially like that idea of the one cure saying like, no, I, I have something that's going to solve all of your problems. 
do, do you uh, sleep uh, badly at night? Are, do you have a lot of inflammation? Do you have all these bad things I'm about to list to you? I actually have a solution for you for that. Uh, doctors don't necessarily have that. You you do have that in big pharma. Like we have those commercials where it's like, oh, Zoloft, uh, do you go to, do you go to bed at night and wake up in the morning? Oh yes, I do. And then you, you need this pill, like I'm kind of borrowing from Chris Rock over there, but yeah, like, uh, so big pharma has it, but mainstream doctors don't really have that on their side in terms of like that sales aspect of it. So right. it's, it's like a disadvantage too. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, doctors are basically like they've relied for so long on the idea that they've got the best science-based evidence that they haven't really had to to sell themselves, right? right. In, in yeah. quite the same way. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, like, like big pharma, uh, they are, uh, uh, yeah, a, a whole different animal, right? They're they're the ones who are trying to actively uh, force the system. The, the 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 otherwise decent medical system into over prescribing and and that's a whole nother uh issue and problem and complaint totally and and you could even argue that maybe like you know the fact that there are a lot of doctors doing podcasts now who you know uh try to give good information not all of them of course but you know it exists right and that might be a way to kind of try to bridge the gap i i guess i guess you know if, if you get popular enough you can make your, you know, that uh, legitimate information viral in some way by maybe being interesting or whatever. It yeah, is there's some good ones. People. Yeah, if you guys know yeah. Z Dog MD, uh, so we had on um, uh, Rachel's Offness. So her, she's friends with this doctor named. So he's super popular on YouTube, Z Dog MD. So he's really great. Like he's a pretty mainstream doctor and he's comical as fuck. So like he has like these really, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like he attacks a bunch of like these alternative healers and he's really funny. So he's one of them. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And then, you know, just to kind of go back to uh, Robert Young's case, right? So now can we now get into, um, so how did it, how did it get to the point where he actually, first of all, started the ranch? And then on top of that, what were some of his, and I will call them victims, what were some of his victims like? And can we even get into the court case that kind of ensued from all of that? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, so, um, you know, he, he had this best-selling book pretty early on, The PH Miracle Diet, sold uh, millions of copies, which means that he made millions of dollars off of it. Uh, he spent, but yeah, you know, he, he wanted to kind of like keep, uh, keep, keep the ball rolling. So he, he released a bunch of um, other books that, that kind of like fine tune that concept or, or applied the pH miracle concept to, to more um, specific forms of disease. Uh, and then he invested some of his money by buying this old uh, grapefruit and avocado ranch uh, in uh, uh, California. And um yeah, open this this miracle ranch. And this was going to be kind of like the glowing center. And the whole time that he was doing this, he was like trying to kind of like gain legitimacy within the medical establishment. Uh, but of course, they were not having it. Um, and he would uh, interface with his clients on a personal basis. And, and so that was kind of like in the, in the hallmark of these sorts of treatments is that you know, he's a friendly face. He's a sympathetic ear. Um, and he's, um, you know, considered, you know, very much like an authority figure, which kind of like, you know, again, fulfilled that, that ego need where he can come and, and lecture and discourse on, on things and hold forth. So, uh, he's running this ranch and people are coming to him, uh, and they're spending, as I said, upwards of $6,000 per day. And he would advise that they stay like, yeah, you know, like six weeks, uh, for, for some of these, uh, patients. And, they were all, or, or many of them were suffering from cancer, right? 
And uh, the, the kind of crux of it, another big red flag for, for these sorts of uh, uh, harmful one true cure uh, uh, frauds is that they don't tell you, they, they tell you to stop seeing your, your regular doctor, right? If they're gonna be right, that means that mainstream conventional medicine has to be wrong. Mm -hmm. And so Young's teachings were that um, uh, chemotherapy and biopsies and tumor removals and all these things were actively harmful uh, and, and would make cancer worse instead of better. Mm -hmm. And so uh, he got people like, uh, uh, there's a, a young woman that I profile in the book named Dawn Cowley, uh, mother of four, kind of like a free spirit, grew up in kind of like a, 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 a I don't want to say commune, but like a, a, a sort of background that put a lot of emphasis on spirituality um, and was suspicious of institutionalized medicine. Uh, so she grew up hearing regularly that um, cancer doctors were, were very, very bad people. And so when she developed uh, breast cancer, stage one, very treatable form of breast cancer, uh, for most of us, it would be the right answer is just go to see your medical doctor. You know, what, what's, what's the question, right? Uh, but given her background, uh, she began looking for other solutions. Like she didn't want to do that. If she was going to do that, that would have been like a really big step uh, and, and a step that would have put her out of sync with her family and her peers, right? Mm -hmm. and, and in particular, she had a favorite aunt uh, who uh, had also gone through cancer, uh, believed that uh, a doctor had exacerbated the aunt's cancer and that alternative healing had, had helped that cancer instead. Mm -hmm. So this woman, Dawn, you know, she comes across uh, Robert Young's teachings she sends him an email explaining that she's in dire financial straits and, and can't really afford his treatments. And he invited her to come and work at the ranch with him. And for a while, she began, became kind of like a, a little bit of a poster girl for this uh, treatment. You know, he, he's uh, having her talk on promotional videos. You know, she, she's uh, a fun and vibrant energy, uh, just, just her personality. Uh, so she's talking about how she started the pH miracle treatment and her cancer went away and now she feels so much better and blah, blah, blah. Uh, she's, she's doing uh, like, like blood tests and instead of having a medical doctor interpret the results of her blood tests, she's asking Robert Young to interpret her blood tests. Uh, you know, he's, he's paying yeah. for them and he's having them send the results to him and then he's reviewing them with her. Right. Uh, and even when those results showed quite clearly that the indicators of cancer were getting worse, he would advise that she instead kind of doubled down on his treatments. Oh, you know what? You're only supposed to be, drink uh, vegetable smoothies, but you ate a cheeseburger last week. You know, like mm -hmm. those, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so it's like, it's, it, it, it's your fault. Yeah. 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 You're, you're not trying hard enough. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I, I'm telling you the right things to do, and, uh, and you're not following it to the letter. Uh, mm -hmm. And also, these numbers aren't that worrisome and, and, and all of that. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, she's, like, continuing to work for him. She's doing, like, promotional events with him. She, she's at a convention, lugging stuff around. And 
her back starts to hurt. Uh, and she eventually uh, goes to a medical doctor only to learn that instead of stage one eminently treatable breast cancer, she's now metastasized and mm -hmm. the cancer is now ridden all throughout her body. Uh, wow. One doctor tells her that a sneeze could break her hip off because it's been so weakened uh, by, by the progress of the disease. And, you know, and she's still a single mother of four children, right? So it's, it's just like particularly tragic. And even mm -hmm. after learning that, she didn't abandon Young. She started doing kind of like dual treatment with him and with conventional medicine. Uh, and uh, only over a period of, of a year or two did she start to sort of rethink her relationship with him and rethink his teachings and eventually decided to bring a lawsuit against him yeah. uh, where she sued him for an unheard of amount, like $50 million uh, right. for the, the uh, loss of life. Uh, her, her, her lifespan had shrunk by, I think, 32 or 37 years, something like that. And so part of what uh, her attorney was asking for for her was a million dollars for each lost year of life. Um, and uh, she prevailed in court. Uh, her attorney, B.B. Fell, made an absolute mockery out of Young and his teachings. Uh, she forced him to admit on the stand that he himself had had a, a, a hair transplant, uh, even though he was teaching that the pH miracle diet would regrow uh, uh, bald heads. You have a regrow hair. <laughs> Wait, Alan, you didn't try that? It was working. <laughs> it was working. You should have yeah. just tried more. This was years ago. Yeah. <laughs> this is when he had hair. <laughs> he gave up the program. That's why. Uh, I know, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so uh, uh, he, he got a hair transplant, and that was like a really big aha moment for the jury because mm. it suggested that he was, uh, he didn't he had intent to deceive, right? Because if he's not relying on his own med his own treatments uh, and he's instead going to conventional medicine for his own treatments, then how can we believe that he, he's uh, acting in good faith when he's treating Dawn? So the jury gave her $100 million, uh, mm -hmm. twice what she was asking, which was a historic judgment. It was later reduced on appeal and she has still not seen a, a penny of the, the uh, settlement. Uh, there, uh, she, she's hoping that uh, when he's forced to sell his ranch, uh, that she'll finally see a few bucks out of it. But uh, really, really sad. She, she's outlived her, her prognosis. Uh, she's still uh, hanging in there, being a wonderful mother, being a wonderful human being. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, we, we, we wish her well. Okay. Well, one of my favorite parts of the book, and I think this is a question that probably all of us have, and I'm sure many people when reading your book would have. So as you're going through it, you know, the question arises of how do these people actually believe this? And I think that's kind of the main question you're looking to answer as you're reading the book. And so what I love is that when you're asked and you do finally ask her that question. So she says, essentially, it's like fake it till you make it on steroids. So it's not so much that he believes it per se. It's just that he's so sure that somewhere down the line and somewhere in the future, there's going to be conclusive evidence of it. So yeah, Matt, can you talk a little little bit about that because i think everybody's always wondering like do these people believe it do they not believe it do are they like legitimate charlatans where they're like snake oil salesmen and they know what they're doing do they legitimately buy into this and it's sort of like this middle ground which i like it's like yes and no yeah yeah because you know it, it's a, a perpetual question because uh the only one who can really answer it is the person themselves and right. part of the the built-in suspicion is that they're not going to answer truthfully right and so it's this really kind of weird question to pose because it seems really, really important. 
and there's no way to know for sure, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, what what Dawn believed after you know years of of time at uh, Young's right elbow was that, uh, yeah, he 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 believed in the core goodness of his idea uh, of his you know uh, invention. He believed that uh, uh, there was no germ theory that instead this thing called terrain theater, uh, terrain theory, the, the acidification of the body, that that was correct, fundamentally correct. Uh, but uh, he was willing to essentially falsify evidence, lie, put on airs, uh, do whatever it took to uh, uh, prop up that belief for the public because he felt like he was on the losing end of the battle with big pharma. Right. Mm-hmm. And so once, once you feel like, Oh, geez, I'm being persecuted by my powerful enemies and they're not playing by the rules. Well, then I'm not going to play by the rules either. Right? right. That, that, that's sort of like the justification. And I think that that kind of rings true for most of the folks that, that I um, uh, looked at for this book is that uh, they either believed it a hundred percent uh and uh or they believed themselves like 90 percent. you know if there was any shred of doubt they couldn't indulge it because they felt like they were being so kicked around by the system uh mm-hmm. that they they um they, they couldn't give any ground they, they were essentially uh again to attribute this to flaws in the system they were radicalized by the system because when they came up with these ideas at some point they bump up against a, a public uh some agency with an interest in the public health Right. And their interactions with those industries or agencies are leaving them uh, in a place that's more extremist and radical than they were before. And so I, I, I do kind of, again, fault society and our systems, uh, but that's also not to condone what yeah, people right. like, uh, like uh, Robert Young are doing. Yeah, yeah. So can we get into that? So that's actually one of the funniest parts of your book, how the FDA handles all of this. So I mean, I don't I don't remember exactly if this was related to Robert Young. I don't remember exactly who the person was. But if it wasn't, I mean we could get into that person. But yeah, the FDA's kind of handling it is hilarious with their kind of overmanualization and just the kind of rigidity of the rules and just how unappealing they are to the public. Yeah. Let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is uh yo. Part and parcel of my same complaint about the medical institution, right, and uh, doctors, is that, you know, the FDA is such a bureaucracy that it's like a parody of a bureaucracy in some respects. And so in the book I talk about, um, I kind of go on at length about they have this 567-page field agents operations manual uh, so that they have inspectors and investigators who go out and, and, you know, will, like, say, look at a facility uh, to ensure that the vitamins being produced there have what the vitamins say they should. Or, yeah, they'll investigate a fraudulent claim about a medical device that, that uh, you know, someone is saying can do something that it, sh- it can't actually do. And uh, so, yeah, in order to kind of get at that culture that they have, uh, I uh, watched a, um, a conference that they held where they were trying to be more public friendly, right? And it was the, uh, uh, yeah, they're, 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 they get a bunch of uh, investigators and, and uh, pe- people from the FDA up at a, uh, a forum table and they're all sitting up there and, and you know, uh, trying to make themselves more public friendly and just completely failing at it, right? Like I, I, 
I, I don't want to go into too much detail about it, but it's like someone says like, oh, so yo, uh, is there a difference between uh, you know, inspector level one and inspector level three? And uh, the response is, uh, we're not inspectors, we're investigators. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. And the second, then moving on to say, it's investigators. It's not, you know, what we do is we investigate. Yeah, we, we don't inspect it. And she just goes on and on and on about it. Uh, and meanwhile, like the, the name of the conference is like the Inspectors uh, Summit or yeah, something like that. It's got the word inspector in, in the name of the uh, overarching event. And, right. and so, yeah, they, they just, uh, they're not good at interfacing with the public. They're so bound up by these rules you now that the rules micromanage their behavior to a, a, an asinine extent. Yeah, like they they have to, you know, phone it in every time they, they change a pair of gloves practically. Or, or yeah, what, or they get a tear in their rubber booty as, as they're walking through a, a facility. And it's, um, you know, it literally tells them uh, to keep a pen on them at all time, but not to put the pen in the shirt pocket. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> because it, it, it can fall out, yeah, like mm-hmm. those sorts of uh, levels of micromanagement. Or you know, when you walk across a train track, you must do it at a ninety degree angle, right? Yeah. Like, uh, uh, and so I think that that's it's all kind of like data driven and driven by an interest uh, in public safety and safety of their their staff and employees and all of that. But the end result is to strip anybody on the ground of any sort of humanity. Right. Like if, if right. you're an investigator, you're essentially not a person. You are a a robot or a vehicle for this uh, higher administrative cause. And that, I think, is part of what radicalizes uh, the, the one true purist and, and drives them in, in, into these uh, ever greater extremes. Right. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, the thinking is with the FDA, it's not very exciting. So I think when people want to, or if they do want to, if they listen to their conferences, I mean, the thinking is you kind of get bored, you fall asleep, you probably don't understand most of the technical terms, but then you have somebody like uh, Jim Humble and this person is like an alien, you know, he's uh, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's from another planet. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I have to, before, before uh, we ever end the show, you know, I have to get into that, right? So you yeah. have something that's super interesting and exciting. And so anybody who's into, let's say anybody who has a pulse, I would say has, has some interest in aliens right so i'm not really uh, i'm sure. not a supporter in any sort of way i actually don't think that there are aliens support aliens no no so yeah yeah so and because we we have a friend who does and i know she would watch this so i, I don't believe in aliens uh but the thing is but it's super interesting and you know i think all of us to whatever extent are caught by something like that so when you have something like the fda and some really just pedantic manual that nobody has any interest in because again it's it's very kind of a sort of rudimentary but then you have this other person who's claiming to be some intergalactic being being, you know, that's going to sort of bring eyes to you, right? So, uh, yeah, let, let's talk about him. How did that happen, and how did he realize that he was an alien? Uh, Jim Humble, uh, uh, Alabama, uh, uh, works in a supplement store for a little while, uh, get, get, gets a bunch of other jobs, winds up mining gold in uh, uh, Guyana uh, in South America, mm-hmm. uh, in the jungle, and uh, there's a lot of malaria there. Uh, so a couple of his workers on at his gold mining camp get sick. Uh, and it just kind of like occurs to him like, oh, hey, maybe if I give these guys uh, my water purifier, it will purify their bodies and, and kill whatever's causing the, the malaria, the, the, the parasites inside them. And so he does it and supposedly they recover. And then he starts refining this idea uh, uh, until he thinks that he's got a um 
a drink that is basically a, a disinfectant and uh, chemically is essentially like a very diluted form of bleach uh, will cure anything, including cancer. Uh, so that's like his, his one true cure story. His, his personal story is that uh, he at one time was mixed up in the Church of Scientology. Uh, he, he uh, I think he found them to be not out there enough uh, <laughs> or at least not Jim Humble centric enough. Mm -hmm. uh, and so he eventually comes to believe through his um, uh, series of you know, spiritual experiences and, and uh, regression therapy and all that sort of stuff that he is an alien who has lived many past lives on earth before. And before that, that he was part of a species of alien uh, that uh, has this really dense mythology. It, it's like it's like as dense as like the Star Wars canon before Disney wiped it out. <laughs> uh, it, it's like uh, uh, there's this planet of the gods uh, ruled by this guy named Manzanora. Uh, there are 55 <laughs> planets in their empire, and they go out and they they basically like build new planets. So they're the mm. ones who brought they brought all the animal life to Earth. Uh, they brought all the water to Earth, and they set Earth up as a, a habitable planet. Uh, and so he says, you know, evolution, it didn't happen on Earth, but it did happen. You know, ah. It's like those sorts of odd things. And, you know, and he thinks he met the biblical Eve in, in a prior life, you know, that, that uh, she was injured during a spaceship crash, and, you know, they, they healed her. Uh, so, you know, he's talking about egos. Uh, imagine if you're personal story was that you were not only bearing a, a, a revolutionary medical product that could reform the medical system, uh, but that you were an alien whose product is also going to elevate humanity and allow it to take its place among the stars. And that you're battling right. against Manzanora's evil agents who have infiltrated the United States government and are you know controlling big pharma and trying to stamp you out at every turn that's right. an exciting story to live in uh yeah we, we would only get to visit that in the movie theater but he got yeah. to live that guys I, i'm not gonna lie I'm, i kind of dig this it's a very appealing action i'm not gonna lie i'm listening that's to him, like <laughs> It's a cool like fantasy show, you know, in, in a way. I'm like, okay, I like to live <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh and so you know, he goes on and he's he's got this drink that he's like for a while he's living in like an abandoned gold mine in Nevada, uh, refining his thing and he's you know using uh I don't know, all, all sorts of wacky ideas to, to uh refine this product. And then when he gets it, he wants to get it out to the people. But instead of selling it, uh which is what most of the folks did. He wanted to just kind of like get the word out. It wasn't important to him to make a lot of money off of it. He said he was just driven by this, you know, alien uh, uh, goal of elevating humanity. Brilliant. And because the FDA was restrictive, he decided that uh, he had to like, you know, email people from around the world, kind of like looking for places where he could distribute this. And of course, he wound up in the places that have the fewest restrictions and regulations on uh, uh, behavior uh which is africa and he mm. was traveling around africa uh basically bribing his way into prisons and administering this bleach drink to uh prisoners and when they they would or he'd go out to like a a, a remote village african village in a lab coat everyone would assume he's a doctor he's telling them to drink this stuff 
they do. They all get sick. They start vomiting and, and uh, uh, shitting out uh, uh, things he shouldn't shit out. And his response is, uh, oh, well, this is fascinating. Look at this. A, a sign of healing is vomiting and diarrhea. Yeah, this is a, a, a sign of getting well. Uh, right. And so he writes it all up in a book that he distributes half for free and half for sale on the internet. And yeah, guess what? That took off. A lot of people bought his book and started manufacturing and selling his uh, drink. And he eventually went on to like co-found a, a sort of faux church with, with mm. a, a religious guy named Mark Brennan. Right. And the two of them were producing uh, a lot of this uh, stuff and they were selling it through the church, but they, they couldn't actually sell it legally. So they were, they were calling it, uh, if you donate 20 bucks to the church, we will we will bless you with this uh, this holy sacramental water, uh, right, right. and eventually the government came down on Brennan and Humble wound up. Uh, I think he's living in Mexico or, or Colombia or somewhere Central right. America. And can we get into this? Because this was so fascinating that the FDA, with all of the rigidity of their rules, I mean, they weren't even punitive enough. That was insane. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, th this this is another problem that we have is that. Once people get to a certain state of radicalization and, and extremism, there's nothing the justice system can do uh, to get them off their course. So, yeah, his, his partner, Mark Brennan, uh, is literally in a Colombian prison awaiting extradition when I'm talking to him. Uh, so that's like as harsh a, a, an outcome as you can possibly imagine. Uh, and, and the specific charges against him were related to him uh, selling this uh, this stuff. Uh, as a coronavirus cure, um, and he had you know threatened the government and you know uh, uh, implied that they were going to take up arms against the FDA if they tried to come for come for him. So he winds up in this Colombian prison awaiting extradition to the United States. And uh, I asked him, you know, kind of like what was going on with his life, and he was still producing and selling the stuff in prison to his fellow inmates. He, he said he treated you know dozens of his fellow inmates. Uh, while awaiting prosecution for this very thing, and, and you know, and he's not the only one in the book. There, there's another guy uh, you mentioned, Larry Lytle, at the top of the show, uh, who sold you know twelve thousand dollar lasers that did nothing, mm -hmm. uh, and he's in his 80s, and he's in prison, and you know, so, still, uh, you know, basically feels that they he, he's been done wrong. So you can't take these guys off the shelf. Uh, it, it's it's very very hard and. You know, prosecuting and jailing someone is the absolute last defense that society has, and even that is inadequate. You know, you, you can you can lock up the guy, but the medical misinformation uh, right, right. Uh, roams free. Uh, on that note, do you want to bring up RFK? Uh, so actually, I was going to ask about. <laughs> so I, I well, actually, I do, but not yet. Is that oh, okay? Okay. Okay. Yeah, so I actually, right. so I because I want to actually. You know what? This will tie into it. This will tie into it. Okay, because the next thing I want to talk about now is medical freedom. So would you say that now as like we started going beyond the science and now it went from, okay, you know, here's the scientific data for this to, well, it's actually, you know, within our constitutional right to provide whatever medicine we want to. And essentially people get to decide on their own, right? That's kind of hyper-capitalism and that's what it's supposed to be. So would you say in terms of the way medical freedom works is that, well, not the way it works, but the way it's sort of connected to how the FDA operates is that the FDA fundamentally, even though we do have laws in place, 
place that it's kind of hard for them to take the, I mean, maybe it's too much bureaucracy too, but it's the, it's fundamentally difficult for them to kind of impinge upon these freedoms. And so ultimately what they do is they initially start out with warnings and then maybe more sort of stern warnings. And then they finally, you know, try to punish them, fines, whatever, and then obviously jail time. And this is because we've moved on to the point of medical freedom where now the idea is, well, you know, as consumers and as pretty much advocates for our own health, we should be able to kind of buy and sell what we wish because ultimately we're smart and responsible people. Yeah. Although that's not even like the, yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, they are, um, it's, it's kind of a bind because as you say, there's a slow escalation of that yeah, starts with a warning letter and ends with imprisonment. Right. And what they hope is that there's the, the, the uh, sum of that system is a deterrent to would be uh, 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 sellers of bad medical products. Right. And, and so uh, the FDA is uh, not really out there to combat the medical freedom movement. They're just right. out there to, to enforce the laws that are on the books. Um, but what happened was uh, around 2005, uh, some libertarian medical freedom lobbyists uh, uh, who, who were headquartered in uh, D.C. started to actively organize alternative healers, right? And this is really like the beginning of the modern medical freedom movement. And mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people in positions of power expressed a lot of surprise that there was so much resistance to the COVID vaccine. And that there was so much resistance to public health warn, uh, uh, messaging about you know, masks and social distancing. Mm -hmm. uh, but they really shouldn't have been. They shouldn't have been surprised at all because this had been building since the early 2000s. And what they basically said to these alternative healers was, you know, stop arguing about uh, uh, the science behind your uh, healing system or your modality. Instead, argue about it being the consumer's right to choose the the product that they want for their own health is exactly what you said and once they wrapped it in that uh sort of uh, uh dressing uh that package became very appealing not only to the alternative healers who wanted to be able to go out and and sell their products and and sound good while doing it uh but they also uh sounded pretty good to the republican party you know for first the extreme fringes of the Republican Party, and then increasingly mainstream uh, uh, parts of the Republican Party, because A, it was a call for freedom, uh, which is kind of like is, is uh, in the Republican Party's wheelhouse, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, B, because Republican leaders in both the political realm and the um, conservative media realm found that they could make money by selling supplements and, and junk health cures and everything else and so right. they started monetizing their email lists or monetizing their their shows to to sell uh you know we, we've all heard of uh alex jones and, and the garbage he sells the rival uh, seeds yeah yeah right 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 <laughs> and that's that's his whole business model is that stuff yeah. right yeah. and the messaging of all that stuff from all these influential conservatives over the last 15 years uh has carried uh I, either implicitly or explicitly, this is the key to good health. It's not going to your doctor. It's not public health agencies. It's what I'm selling you, right? Mm. And it's an alternative. And so they they kind of like created this um, playing field that that uh, yeah got got people very riled up. And so coronavirus was just sort of kind of like the the uh, apex 
uh, of all those years of, of building where it really brought the, the libertarians in the, the health freedom movement into uh, close alignment with the Republicans and, and allowed them to advance that agenda. Yeah, that's what I was wondering in terms of the FDA, because I mean, already there's somewhat of a negative perception of them. And I guess my thinking was, you know, is it because of the kind of public perception and the fear of more scrutiny that they were essentially handing out warning letters instead of initially starting out with fines and maybe even jailing them? I I don't think so. I think it was like a resource thing. And I think Hmm. it's also just how they've traditionally done it. So, you Hmm. know, in the 90s, it worked because there weren't that many bad guys. So the government kind of had a handle on them. And now, even though the FDA is, you know, uh, two or three times the size that it was in the 90s, mm. uh, the number of bad actors, um, both because of the sorts of political dynamics that, that we talked about, and also just because of the Internet and, mm-hmm. and the, the Internet creating an ease of access and a, uh, a huge public demand um, uh, that's created a profit incentive for people to enter it, mm-hmm. uh, to enter these fields, I think that they've just overwhelmed the system entirely. And so uh, I, I think the FDA is less worried about retribution uh, or you know, uh, pushback specifically. I think they're just going out there doing, doing what they do in their rigid, unfriendly way uh, and uh, you know, unwittingly not helping themselves any because of, because, of their, their, because of the bad taste that they leave in people's mouths, even right. as we rely upon them to, to keep our food and our medicine safe. Right, right, right. I do remember you mentioning that the farm, well, the online pharmacies have ballooned over the past couple of decades. Yeah, they, they were like, you know, I, I think uh, something like 200 of them in the year 2000 or 300 of them in the year 2000. Mm-hmm. And now it's like 35,000 of them that right, listed right. online pharmacies. So it, it's staggering numbers. And the vast majority of them are, are selling stuff that contains, uh, you know, they're selling stuff illegally, you know, so, yeah. stuff that is, uh, uh, either you know not well regulated. You, know, you mm-hmm. get a, you get a supplement that says it's one thing; it's actually another thing. Um, By the uh, way, I, can I ask you about that? Yeah. So how how common is that in terms of like the supplement industry, where it's actually like let's say there's arsenic, or at the very least there aren't the, the exact ingredients noted on them actually in the bottles. Yeah. You know, I I guess I I don't have a specific number for prevalence. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you think of it this way, you you could say like. Uh, someone can put a pill on the market without anybody testing that pill. Yep. And you have a financial incentive to put all of your money into marketing and mm-hmm. selling that pill. And meanwhile, creating the pill with as uh, cheap an ingredient as possible. Now, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give you a, a really fun example. Uh, there's a guy, I think I only have like two paragraphs about him in the book, but I wrote an article about him named Herb of War. Mm. Uh, that he legally changed his name to Herb of War. He's a vegan mm. activist. Uh, and Herb of War had this dream uh, that he wanted to come up with the all-natural plant-based alternative to Viagra. Oh. Right? Uh, so he is traveling the world, tracking down all of these like folklore remedies uh, for the, the herb that uh, makes uh, erections. Uh, you know, super, supercharged and super powered. Yeah. And he's testing all of them himself. <laughs> and and, and uh, uh, it, it's like a life dream of his. And he eventually has somebody send him uh, an extract from a plant in China uh, that actually does what he's been looking for it to do for all these years, right? He, he's uh, running like a telemarketing station in uh, India. 
at the mm -hmm. time when he gets his package. He gives it to his staff, and an hour later, he realizes that all of his staff are like giggling and, and hiding their their lower halves behind their desks, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and so uh, he's like, "Yeah, Eureka! That this is it." And mm -hmm. he he markets it. He markets a product called Stiff Knights, uh, not yeah. subtle, uh, and um, uh, starts flying off the shelves. People are saying, "Oh my God, this all herbal, all natural Viagra works!" And only to come out, uh, eventually somebody uh, takes it and it has a heart attack and dies. Uh, they uh, look it up. You know, the, the, the FDA looks them up. Uh, they test it. And they say it's got sildenafil in it, which is the active ingredient for uh, not Viagra, but one, one of its competitors. I, I can't quite remember. Mm. Um, and um, so it turned out that his Chinese supplier had basically just taken the drug and told him that it was uh, uh, herbal, that, that it was this plant extract, which it totally was not. Mm, and wow. Uh, so, you know, you might have people who think they're selling stuff in good faith and they don't have any clue of what's in the products that they're selling you. So, you know, you, you go to a big company uh, that's selling stuff and you assume that maybe there are more eyes on them and so that they're a little bit of a better actor. I, I don't know. Uh, but they found all sorts of gross stuff in supplements. And because the effects of vitamins are subtle, if, if um, you know, uh, it, uh, so, some effects are, are better documented than others, uh, but sure. in all cases, they're, they're pretty subtle effects. And, and so uh, you can put whatever you want in them. And if there's a public scandal or if people are, are grow tired of your brand because it's not producing the effects that you want, you just change the label, right? Just, just slap a new name on there, come up with a new marketing campaign. That's what they do. And the FDA is so bad at combating this that... Uh, an independent study found that something like 50% of the products that they had ordered recalls for, and that is the extreme uh, step that the FDA can do, right? That, that's the equivalent of locking the guy up in prison. Right. Those products uh, fit in 50% of the cases were still on the shelves three years later, right? Wow. And, and so that shows you how weak the FDA is at, at uh, uh, regulating this. So why would you create a vitamin or supplement that has what it says in it if you can make more money by selling it uh with some it's just some sort of junk filler inside it well sure yeah I, I guess even if they claim there's a third party testing facility or something like that the i mean who knows I mean, how helps. those numbers are skewed yeah yeah i mean that, that that's that's better than not making that claim uh sure. assuming that someone can verify that claim but yeah you know, I, I think what it comes down to is um uh, for for the uh, health-minded consumer that that wants to go with vitamins and supplements, is you know find a reputable person, a reputable company that's been in the game for a long time, that has an established brand, uh, that is you know has shareholders who would be hurt if it came to light that they were monkeying around with stuff, uh, and develop a, a relationship with that that company and learn more about it and and just you know. Uh, do your due diligence when you're uh, considering what it is that you're going to be putting in your body. You know, I didn't expect to even ask this question, but just for fun, uh, I, I guess if you did that, uh, hypothetically, would it dissuade you if that particular supplement company, let's say that well-reputed one, yeah, uh, was not um, backed by the FDA or was not FDA approved? Because like, let's say it's not FDA approved, but they've been in the game 20 years, 
like you said, it would hurt their shareholders that you do, you did your due diligence. Would, would you still maybe, um, uh, yeah. Well, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm a little caught up on the question. Cause I'm not, I'm trying to think of like what approval the FDA gives, you know, like, uh, uh, I don't know that the FDA actively approves of uh, any vitamin. They 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 sometimes yeah. inspect facilities and ensure that a facility is clean. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that they routinely test what's inside anything. So I don't think any any supplement. Oh, I, 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 maybe you're thinking of these uh, these labels that say like you know like these claims have not been. Uh, investigate yeah uh, I, yeah i suppose i mean actually also what you're what you're saying now is uh i mean i should have known this but that's actually new information to me uh too i mean i'm not aware of any fda like uh fact uh vitamins either i was just curious if, if that yeah, even I existed mean, I, I guess but yeah so what would the fda then investigate the what facilities was oh it's just the facilities so it's not actually the products then right they'll, they'll uh kind of spot check products and mm -hmm. the, they they triage that. So if there's a lot of you know if somebody dies after taking a supplement, they'll test that bottle of supplements and try to find out what's up. Mm -hmm. um, but you know th there's um th th there was a, a change in the law in the 1990s, the Deshay Act, um, uh, that um, shifted the burden of proof away from the vitamin manufacturer and the supplement manufacturer and onto the FDA. Right. And wow. so. Uh, you know, there, there are, I think, 18,000 different vitamins and supplements uh, on the market, and they just can't, they just can't keep up. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I so I, I think, you know, probably the, the, the ultimate answer to your question is like, uh, if they've been around for 20 years, and they seem solid, they've probably had some sort of contact with the FDA, you know, just, just do a Google search, see what sorts of complaints there have been about that company. Right. Uh, and, and then uh, make up your mind based on what you find. Makes sense. I got you. Yeah. And then, so I also want to talk about, because we mentioned him in the beginning, Joseph Marcola. Uh, so would you say out of all of these, out of all the people mentioned, obviously he's not exactly a part of the book, but is Joseph Marcola at this point kind of the most notorious peddler of anti or alternative medicine? Oh yeah. I mean, certainly the, the most effective and prolific and richest, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. By a lot of measures, uh, but he's, he, he doesn't fit the profile of most of the people that I, I look at in depth with the book because yeah. he's selling anything, right? Mm -hmm. Mercola is not a, a person who came up with a, 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 a medical revolutionary cure. Mm -hmm. He is a brand, right? right. He, he's, he's got uh, websites with, with amazing amounts of traffic that yeah, are selling. Newsletters. Oh, yeah, newsletters, uh, wide, wide range of products, medical devices and supplements. And uh, he's putting, uh, he's donated like a hundred million uh, dollars to uh, so, so, some like anti-vax medical freedom causes, mm -hmm. right? And, and so he is like the big player, uh, the, 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 the equivalent of big pharma, right? Mm -hmm. He's big supplement uh, where, where he's out there trying to, um, you know, reshape the political landscape in a way that that will put more dollars into his pocket. Oh, okay, wait. Oh, I have an interesting question for you. Okay, Joseph Marcola, right? So he peddles supplements. So one can argue that based on his following and his brand, that it would be pretty, you know, let's say um, counterproductive to him, you know, for lack of a better term, for him to hawk something that doesn't necessarily work, right? <laughs> so, right. But yeah, how does he do that? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I, I think the answer is that like he operates in a space that is not um, 
it's almost more political than health, right? Like, like he, he operates in a space where, you know, it's kind of like the, um, his buying public has already priced in the fact that he's in opposition to government, mm-hmm. right? Like, like, uh, he's, he's, uh, uh, it's like Donald Trump, you know, that the more bad things that he gets dinged for legally, Mm-hmm. the more evidence you've accrued that he's being persecuted by his political opponents, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I think for, for Mercola, you know, it, it's kind of like the, the same thing, right? Like he's been in the game for a long time, uh, but uh, he is uh, uh, sort of immune among his following to, to the complaints. And, and also, you know, like if he had been uh, doing what he's been doing for uh, as long as he's been doing it, you know, 20 years or so, and not been fined by the FDA, then mm-hmm. I might say, all right, well, you know, maybe he's at least acting with a, a certain amount of um, uh, responsibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you look at some of the things, like you cited in that passage you read from the book earlier, uh, Leon, uh, the, you know, he, he's been caught with his hand in the cookie jar a few times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think that those that, that being caught like that has hurt his bottom line very much. Right. And so I think, you know, you might look at that and say, this is a guy who's been around for a long time, but who does not have a reputable uh, uh, business, who, who doesn't have a sterling reputation. In fact, someone who, who's been uh, found to be acting unethically in, in multiple uh, uh, situations. Right. Yeah, and so as we kind of start to wrap up, since we did mention RFK, I'm gonna we're gonna try to sort of end <laughs> off with this. So with the interesting thing, you know, at least to me about RFK is that he's pretty much, I mean, he tries to kind of sprinkle in some of the science and what he calls science, but he's mostly a proponent of medical freedom. So he will say something like, "Well, you know, I'm not against vaccines. I'm for vaccine safety. You know, whatever that is. You know." And again, it goes into the argument of we kind of get to decide. So Matt, I guess how does it feel, you know, to have such a mainstream politician and especially a democratic politician out of all things, sort of not only just be anti-vax and anti-science, but also be one of these alternative practitioners. Or not, he's not himself as, but he's a <laughs> sort of pro- proponent of alternative practice. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it kind of shows just how, like, right now, um, uh, uh, yeah, I, I myself am a progressive, right? And so, uh, right now, my progressive friends, we're all thumbing our noses at the Republicans for being anti-science, right? But what I learned through the research of this book is that um, Republicans aren't necessarily inherently anti-science. Uh, there have been a lot of thought leaders within the conservative movement who have um, set themselves uh, to, to disseminate anti-science messaging, and mm. they are leading the Republican rank and file by the nose uh, into these uh, bad waters. Uh, RFK is an exception uh, uh, among Democrats, right? In that he's the one who is um, leading like that. So I think if he were to somehow win the nomination or uh, uh, start to gain friends, if other Democratic leaders capitulated to his uh, surprising amount of popularity in the same Mm -hmm. way uh, that they did on the right, uh, I think uh, Democrats are just as susceptible to coming up with, uh, uh, to, to being led to a place that is anti-science. Yeah, you know, like, like uh, there are arguments that uh, we've done that historically on issues like um, 
genetically modified foods. Yeah. So we, we, we were predicting all these horrific consequences uh, uh, and the dangers of Monsanto. And now, you know, guess what? Genetically modified foods are feeding a lot of people that would otherwise go hungry. And mm-hmm. we haven't seen widespread environmental destruction. Yeah, at least right. not yet. Right. Um, and yeah, I, I have mixed feelings about it. But uh, it's yeah. just the, the point being that um, RFK is a voice uh, on uh, in the Democratic Party that sees on this anti-establishment messaging that is not that different from where the Democratic Party was maybe 40 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when, 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 he w- when he was coming up. You know, part of like the, the history of the environmental movement has been a belief that the system is structured to benefit, you know, coal and gas and, and all of that. And that big farm and medicine, you know, th- those were like deeply held progressive values not that long ago. Right. Right. Um, and, and, and still are to the extent that they're true, I would argue. Um, but uh, RFK is um, an expression of that, that wing of the Democratic Party. And uh, the fact that it's so closely aligned with so many conservative values right now, I, I think just kind of shows how, how this kind of transformational moment that we're in in politics. Yeah. Yeah. And what's so horrific about RFK is that it's sort of it's very insidious. So it goes from a little bit of this to a little bit of that. And then you're like, holy shit. So, the you know, we came out a couple of days ago. Maybe I think it was even yesterday where now the belief is that, oh, well, COVID is sort of sparing uh, Jewish people and, and what was it, Chinese people. So, <laughs> I mean, well, Jews and the Chinese. Yeah. 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 yeah wow. and what, what's so interesting about something like that is that initially it was, well, you know, I'm only just for vaccine safety. You know, I don't uh, he doesn't really talk about COVID. Right. Essentially, it's just the COVID vaccines per se. But now he's going into the hypothesis and the theory of COVID. So it's kind of interesting how it's like this little step-by-step ladder. First, you're like, okay, kind of what he's saying could be maybe true. I got to look into the evidence. And then it's like, it gets more and more fringe as you kind of climb up it. And then you're like, dude, oh my God, how does anybody take this guy seriously? Yeah. Well, how many people have learned the the lesson of, um, you know, when I say something extreme, more people, I get more attention, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I think that that's part of it too, is uh, that the audience is, um, uh, kind of demand that uh, uh, ever, yeah, they, they, they want people to go up the ladder to some extent, you know, because it, it, it's this, uh, you know, it, it attracts attention, it gets headlines and, and all that. And so you go further and further along that path and suddenly like, yeah, like, like you said, like the, the, what the hell is this guy talking about? Um, but but I, I think it, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, that there's, um, there's a good example of this. I can't remember... Uh, uh, the guy's name, but there was like a YouTuber who um, uh, he was like, did a bunch of videos, uh, of various sorts, kind of like lifestyle or like little performative things. Uh, and one of his things was like eating a big meal. Hmm. And that was the thing that clicked with his audiences was eating this big meal. There's, there's a name for it. I, I can't remember like this, this category oh, of video. Mukbang. Mukbang. That's it. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. So he was a big mukbang guy. And over the course of a couple of years, that became the only content that he was doing. And his mukbang persona was different. It was more, um, it was like a bigger personality than he actually showed himself to be in his earlier one. So like mm. he went from being kind of this mild mannered, nice guy to suddenly he's this big, you know, uh, overweight mukbang uh, uh, performative, like wacko. Uh, right. d- d- just eating insane things 
uh, and insane amounts of things. Um, and it was kind of like, well, his audience kind of turned him into that, didn't they? Because that's what they incentivized him to do. They, they gave him clicks. Uh, they, they, they gave him likes. Uh, they, they gave him uh, comments on his videos. And so that, that kind of like pushed him into that territory. And right. so, yeah, you know, maybe that's where RFA is. I, you know, I, when I was a, a kid, I read, I, I grew up in the Hudson Valley on the Hudson River. RFK was like a, a local hero. You mm. know, like I, I read his book. I was like, this guy's cleaning up the Hudson River. He's getting uh, the, the chemicals out of it. He's shutting down polluters. Uh, so it was all warm, fuzzy feelings for RFK. And then I look at where he is now and, and I just, I, I don't, uh, I don't know quite how that happened. You know, it's so interesting because like somebody like Bernie Sanders, I wonder how he kind of got to that point where he was able to walk that tightrope, uh, the tightrope. So where he would kind of accuse Big Pharma of obviously, oh, you know, price gouging and, you know, kind of withholding medication. And you can still say, okay, you know, the problem isn't the medications themselves or the vaccines, obviously. The problem is the people behind them, the people kind of cultivating them, making them, profiting off of them. And so sure. what he would point to is profiteering as opposed to, you know, some insidious plot to poison us. So it's kind of interesting, I guess, how thin that line is and how easy it is for some to RFK to just so quickly cross it. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I used to work in a newsroom that that covered uh, Vermont and that covered Bernie Sanders heavily. You know, like I, I've interviewed him for, for that newspaper. Oh, cool. Uh, and there would be discussions in the newsroom, like the things that Bernie Sanders are saying sound so extreme. And so <laughs> we would fact check him, mm -hmm. right? And, and everything that comes out of Bernie Sanders' mouth is true. There is wow. no fact uh uh there, there's no contradiction of fact that that bernie sanders is making right wow uh, but then if we're uh fact checking someone like rfk jr well yeah there, there's no end of, of misstatements mistruths and, and that and so i think it basically comes down to one person is um surrounding themselves with bad information and bad people and and spouting off what will rile up their audiences and one person, Bernie, is speaking from the heart and uh, doing his research, doing his homework, and, and really um, uh, has radical views, but uh, expresses them in, in a way that is based in reality. I love that. Yeah. So agreeing that Bernie Sanders is the greatest presidential candidate of all time is a great oh. endpoint for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you there. All right, Alan. So final questions for Matt before we wrap up. Yes. Uh, if we wanted to follow you, follow your work, and of course, buy your book, uh, where can we do that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Please uh, Google me. You'll, you'll get to my website, matthungleteling.com. Uh, I'm also presence on um, Twitter at HH underscore Matt. Uh, feel free to email me. I, I love to hear from folks and from readers. Um, and uh, my book is called If It Sounds Like a Quack. Uh, a lot of a lot of funny stuff, a lot of frightening stuff, a lot of sad stuff. Uh, it, it, it's all there. Um, and I hope um, uh, you, yeah, you can find it on Amazon, indie books, what, what, whatever. Uh, yeah, pl please, uh, please give it a read and, and give it a good review. Oh, and by the way, so I'm going to make this even more enticing. The best part of the book we didn't even get up to. So toward the end of the book, you're pretty much building the case that most of these people are gearing towards some sort of zombie fucking apocalypse. So it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah, these yeah. people are quacks. They literally believe zombies are coming. So yeah, obviously we didn't have time for that, but I, you know, to our listeners, we hope you guys buy the book because essentially it gets even better toward the end. It gets from like, okay, this is somewhat kind of reasonable yeah. to this is just complete buffoonery. All right, Matt, thank you so much. <laughs> This was amazing. This is well, awesome. what a great tease. Thank you guys. Thank <laughs> you. Um, also, just, just in general for the voice that you provide, 
it's an important voice. Uh, I'm really happy that you guys are out there uh, uh, maintaining some some sanity and uh, thoughtful uh, analysis uh, in, in these crazy zombie plague times. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much, Max. Thanks, man. Take care. All right, guys. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay. That was awesome. That was I don't fun. even know how much time passed, but well, anyway, everyone, thank you again so much for watching. Uh, you can always follow us at Seize the Moment Podcast on uh, Instagram and Facebook, on Twitter, where Seize underscore podcast. Like, subscribe, hit, hit the, the bell, bell on YouTube. YouTube. And thank you so much for watching and see you next time.